Well, next weekend is Easter. Can you, can you even imagine that? It is Easter next week already. It just seems like we were doing Easter stuff just recently, but it's been a year, and it's been a, a difficult year. It's been a year like none other that we've experienced. Um, this hasn't just been a regional thing. This has been a global event, a global uh, journey together. And, and next week, we have hope in next week. Regardless of our situation, regardless of how much longer we're going to have these restrictions, uh, just knowing about what next week, what next Sunday symbolizes and means to us as a Christ follower, that should get us excited and, and hopeful and, and encouraged because if he can conquer death, there is nothing that he cannot overcome. See, for the follower of Christ, this is when we celebrate our resurrected Lord. It is the defining event that has the ability to transform your eternity along with those you introduce to a relationship with Jesus. So as I've already mentioned here today, please be praying and thinking of those you can invite to our drive-in service next week. Because I believe that God will put some unexpected intersections into your life this week where you will just be in a conversation with someone. And I'm praying that you will have the courage to say, you know what, my church is doing this pretty cool service next week. Why not come out and just see what it looks like? Come out and check out our drive-in service. I'm telling you, you never know what that invitation could mean in their life. Now, I know Easter means uh, different things to different people. For some, they think of Easter egg hunts. Uh, for others, it may be that new outfit that they bought that they wanted to show off. Regardless, invite them. Invite them to come. I'm not sure, I'll, I'll let you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to be wearing next week. I just wear whatever Lisa lays out on the bed for me, and that's what I walk out the door with. See, over these past six weeks, I've been challenging us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to look to his life as an example for ours. One thing is very clear about Jesus' life, though, right? His life endured harsh struggles, even to the point of death. And today, as we conclude this journey, as we conclude this series, I want us to look at our last little passage and if your Bibles are open, I hope uh, you have them in Hebrews. We are in Hebrews. We are in chapter 12 right now. So open up your Bibles. Uh, turn your smart devices on to your Bible app. Uh, get to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4 today. This is what we read. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. At this point, when this, has, when this was being written, the Christians yet had not been martyrs. Not yet. That hadn't started to come. A couple of chapters before this, in chapter 10, we read that they've been publicly humiliated that they've actually had their properties confiscated from them. They have been imprisoned. They have been insulted. 
So they're going to need to stand firm in the midst of struggle. And we've been learning that Christ's life endured harsh struggles. And I can't think of a more significant a spiritual or physical struggle than the cross. See, the cross represents sins against Jesus, all those sins against Jesus, all those false claims that, that they levied against him, but it also represents the sin within us. And Jesus chose the cross to model that sins against us and within us can actually be redeemed. And they can. And a lot of us, I know, struggle with that. They're thinking, ah, Bill, you don't know my past life and the things that I've done or the things that I'm doing. They can't be redeemed. And I'm here to tell you, yes, they can. Allow Christ to redeem them. That's what the cross was all about. It was to redeem you and your life and and to give you that fresh start. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 32, we, uh, we read this. It says, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when they uh, accepted Jesus, when they put their faith in Jesus, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. So notice that there was a price take that was attached to being a Christ follower. If you identified yourself with the church back in the first century, there was intense suffering that often accompanied it. The writer here, what he's trying to do is he's preparing them that the things, that things are actually going to get worse before they get better. And they need to remember. They need to remember, just like we need to remember, the sacrifice made by the one who did shed blood over all of this. So they should expect intense persecution because Jesus is worth following. We might not face persecution, but we definitely face opposition in our society, in our Western society here. And we should expect that opposition. And the thing is, Jesus is worth worth following even in the midst of that opposition. But here's what's interesting. Almost universally, the the false religions of the world, they regard suffering as actually a mark of of disfavor of the deity. And we see that being played out in some areas in the scriptures, even in that time, that if, if there was suffering or if there was something, obviously it was a curse, that you did something wrong that, that made God not like you anymore. If you're suffering, it means that God is out to get you, and it carries with it this mindset that we actually have to get on the right side of the deity so that we will actually stop suffering. But I want to make certain that you catch this. You need to catch this. You need to listen to this. A concept of a carefree life, totally free of stress, free of struggling, free of suffering, is actually just the opposite of the Christian life. It also stands in stark contrast to what Jesus actually predicted and talked about in his word. He never, you can look through the scripture, and if you find it, let me know. But what I have seen, he, de- he has never promised 
that if we walk with him, there will be no suffering. He does not promise, hey, you know what? If you come and follow me, I guarantee you no more suffering, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more doubt. But what he does do instead, he does promise that he will actually be with you, that he will walk with you in that struggle. And you know what? That's the power of the cross. That is the power of the cross. Not that he will guarantee a stress-free, free of suffering life, but what he guarantees is that you will have the power, the power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to walk with you through that struggle. That's what he promises. That Jesus showed us this good struggle a struggle that produces fruit in suffering and it doesn't abandon you. Suffering and pain have the ability to move you closer to God than you've ever been before. Did you catch that? That your suffering and your pain actually gives you the ability to actually move even closer to God than than you are right now. James chapter 1, we know this. We know this verse about talking about struggle and pain and trials. James says this, consider it pure joy. Pure joy, he says. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many, of many kinds, you might be thinking as you're hearing that, or every time you read it, or every time you think about it, there might be that thought that comes into your head of why? Why? Would it be, why would I consider it joy if I'm suffering? Why would I consider it joy that I'm in pain or I'm struggling? Why would I consider it pure joy when I go through trials? Because it's what can, it's what can be produced in your life. God loves people enough to allow them to experience a crisis in their life because brokenness can lead them to become totally dependent on him. That's why. That God loves us enough to allow us to experience struggle, suffering in our lives because our brokenness can It can lead us, and it does lead us, if we allow it to, to become even more dependent upon him. So, God doesn't give us a crisis. We got, you know, he doesn't give it to us, but he allows us to experience it so that we can realize and recognize his love on a much deeper level. Think about the times that you come out of a time of struggle or suffering or pain. Is your love for God at the end of that in a better place? Is it, a deep, is it deeper than it was before you went through that journey? I say, I, I'll, I'll confidently say that probably for all of us, that would be a resounding yes. So, what we will do today is we're going to walk through three struggles here. The first one is this. The struggle of sin. In verse 4, we read this again. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your 
blood. Have you ever heard anyone say the struggle is real? The struggle is real? But if there was ever a phrase that could wrap up Jesus' 33 years here on earth, it would be that phrase, right? The struggle is real. He, he could have trademarked that phrase, right? Because of all the ups and the downs that he experienced, but because of also the heavy trials and even temptations that he experienced. See, there's this small group that wanted Jesus dead. They hated him. He, he upset their religious system and what they thought the Messiah would be. They hated him so much that their selfishness and their zeal caused them to lie about Jesus, to trump up charges against him so they could actually get rid of him. Have you ever been there before in your life? Have you ever had someone lie about you? Ever have someone take a shot at one of your family members? You ever had someone say something against you or against your spouse? It hurts deeply, doesn't it? Have you ever have your character maligned publicly? And you know there's no way to get the truth and the correct story back to all those who heard the wrong story and the false story. Maybe some of you can say yes to some of that or all of that. I know I can. I can say yes to every single one of those. Because that's happened to me here in Port. But for some people, it might result in blood being shed or even possibly a life being taken. Well, that was the end result of our Jesus. And what's interesting is he could have defended himself with words, with wisdom, with miraculous power, but instead he chose to save your life rather than his own. Have you ever picked that up before? At any time, at any point, Jesus could have stood up and it could have all stopped. Everything stopped. And maybe some of us have wondered, why is that? Because he wanted to save your life, your life, rather than his. And that's why he endured it. Jesus knows what it's like to be maligned. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it means to be mistreated and to be hurt when you're innocent. He knows what it's like to look to God when the struggle is real in order to be able to overcome temptation. Hebrews 4. Verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, the night Jesus was betrayed, he reminded his disciples of the struggle with sin, and he also forewarned them of the challenges to face them. Remember what he said? He said, in this world, you will have trials, but take heart, take courage, I have overcome the world. So don't be surprised by the struggle, and don't be overwhelmed by the struggle, he's saying. 
but make certain of this, that you face those situations and you know where they're coming, but you don't face them alone. You face them in the presence of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the more that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we fix our eyes on the work of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our lives, the more we can live in freedom from our sin. See, his presence turns our struggles from hopelessness to hopeful. From sin to sanctification. So there's this struggle of sin that Jesus is referring to here. Another struggle is the struggle with submission. It's another struggle we deal with, right? We all struggle with that, right, when it comes to submitting to others. We all do. We all want to be our own boss. We don't want anyone to come in and and feel like, you know, they have power over us or they can tell us what to do and what not to do. Those of you who were parents, you can understand this, right? You know earlier on in your job was to teach your child or your children the value of trusting you as their parent. The value of being respectful, of being obedient. And all of this is because of the parent's unconditional love for the child. And by the child submitting, what they are doing is they're showing their confidence in in your love and that they trust that you know and you want what's best for them. A couple chapters over in chapter 12, in verse 7, we see this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Down in verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? In other words, how much more God the Father is worthy of our praise, but also of our obedience, and we need to trust his plan. We need to trust that he unconditionally loves us. We need to trust that he knows and he wants what's best for us. That's what our obedience shows. By us submitting to him, we are showing God, I trust that you know what's best and you want what's best for me. While we accept his will for our lives, what we are saying to him is that we are willing to accept hardship as discipline. And we are willing to pay the price to submit to submit our pride to a trustworthy God. See, Jesus had to wrestle between all of this. He had to wrestle between his human pride and a very expensive price take in a very certain place. You remember that place where we really see that struggle take place? It's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It provides for us another one of the most powerful pictures of submission to God's plan. And it actually gives us this intimate picture of Jesus' relationship with the Father as he struggles, and there was a struggle, to step into God's will for his life. In Jesus' humanity, he is wrestling there in the garden with what that price tag is going to be. He knows what that price tag is, and he's wrestling with that. And he finds himself in the midst of the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. In Matthew 26, 
we, uh, we get what this looks like. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup, and when we see cup, it's really talking about life here. You know, life and death. It's talking about really uh, the idea of death here. So take this cup. May this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you. The garden, just as a reminder for us, is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Now, the, the word Gethsemane in Aramaic, do you know what it means? It means the place of the olive press. That's what that means. The garden, it's this place of the olive press. It has olive trees all throughout it. And you see, this, you see the ancient olive press of Jesus' times. And what it did was it involved a process of pressing the olives three times to get the most out of it, to get everything out of it that it possibly could. This press, they would put the olives in and it would press them three different times to get every last little tiny drop out of it, to get the full usage out of it. So... It would press it three times to utilize it to the fullest. And consequently, in both Matthew and Mark, we find that Jesus prays three times at the place of the olive press. Three times Jesus pressed into the Father's heart. Three times the Father revealed his will to Jesus. Three times our Lord prayed, trying to make sense of what was to come, crushed by the weight of what was to come, by the weight of our sin. Jesus pressed the Father's heart here. As the Father pressed Jesus more into his will to the point where we continue to read that story where he started to sweat blood. I don't know about you, but my pride definitely has a price tag. But Jesus' pride didn't. Or if it did, your salvation was more important than his pride. We are told in 1 Corinthians that you were bought for a price. You realize what that price is, right? It, was, it is the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus endured the suffering And our biggest struggles are the ones within us. And it's a good struggle when you choose to emerge from that struggle with a willingness to submit to God's plan. That's why we call it Good Friday. Because what took place in the garden led to what took place the next day. And the good struggle gave us freedom from sin. So there's the struggle of submission. And there's another struggle. There's one more struggle. It's the struggle of sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice in every moment where he could have been elevated. He actually lowered himself as a servant. If you have ever wondered for a split second whether God saw you as someone worth knowing or worth having a relationship with, all you have to do is just look at the cross. If you forget... Look at the cross. See, the cross reveals God's heart for you and God's hope for you. 
See, the cross was his most powerful message to us because his death, he covered our sin and he connected us to God the Father. He sacrificed in every moment to the point of even death. See, sacrifice isn't appealing. It's definitely not appealing to us, right? Because it costs what our flesh desires. That's why we don't like to sacrifice, right? That's why we struggle with that. It costs us what our flesh desires. But I am so thankful that Jesus denied his own desires of comfort and walked towards Calvary. Aren't you glad that he did the exact same thing? So, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he endured the good struggle of both life and death. He gives our life both meaning and purpose, and he revealed to us the power of submission to God and invites us to a life of sacrifice. See, he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He had no way, we've had, we had no way of getting rid of our sins until he chose to intervene on our behalf. What he couldn't do, what we couldn't do, he did. And that's why he is worthy of our worship, of our submission, of our obedience. Think of it like this. Sin infects, as it always will. But Jesus perfects, as he always will. Did you catch that? Sin infects, and it always will. But Jesus perfects, and he always will. That's who he is. That's what he does. He is maturing you. He is completing you. He is perfecting you. He is growing you into the image of Christ. So we come back to Hebrews 12. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, why? Why did he endure the cross? The joy that was set before him. And you might be thinking, joy? Why? What was his joy? What was so joyful about enduring the cross? What didn't he have up in heaven that he could have had down here? You know what it was? It was you. It was you. It didn't have you. And he wanted you. And he desired you. And he pursued you by enduring the cross. You see? You are his joy. You. You are his joy. You are why he endured the cross. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you.
for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you for not falling into what many of us fall into when we struggle. Thank you that you overcame all those struggles. You overcame the struggle of sin and temptation. You overcame the, the struggle of submission. And we see that being played out in the garden. You didn't want to. You knew what the price take was going to be. But you still wanted to do the will of the Father. And thank you that you didn't struggle with sacrifice. That you lit your life epitomizes what sacrifice is all about. You sacrificed your own life. You endured the cross and you said, and you tell us that you you did it with joy. And as we look right down to it, it, it comes down to us that we were and we are your joy. And it's because of us that you endured that good struggle so we could experience freedom in our life, freedom from our sin. So we thank you again for what you've done. And it gives us, it gives us an example of how to respond to the struggles of our own life. Allow us to just invite you into that struggle. Not so that you can make it disappear and vanish by the snap of a finger, but because you will be with us and you will walk with us through that. And because of that, we will get closer to you and become stronger and our love for you will grow even deeper. Allow us to give all of our struggles to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.